This is episode 15 of Fire in a Hole. I'm Jason. And I am Richard. What did we do this week? We talked to Akil Goin. Goin? Goin. Akil Goin. Akil Goin. And we talked a little bit about uh, film effects and movie making. Correct. So Akil, who is uh, my uh, most ancient uh, collaborator in filmmaking, uh, a whiz editor, cinephile, um, second to none, joins us in studio this week. And we went through, a, we, uh, we got into a, lot, a bunch of cool stuff, didn't we? Yeah, we started off with a lot of uh, movie making stuff, a lot of uh, screenwriting and even some creepy movie trivia. Yeah, yeah. And uh, of course, we asked Akil uh, to uh, chime in on uh, the new movies that are coming out, like Star Wars, Force Awakens, of course, which we are uh, very, very close to. And of course, Batman vs. Superman, a bunch of other big names. We got his impressions on it and uh, we had a really good time. Sufficient amount of nerd rage. Yes. Yeah, get your nerd get your nerd rage on. <laughs> Fire in the hole. Idris Elba. Idris Elba. <laughs> Mr. Daytona? Yeah. Ernie Rodriguez, FBI. Oh god. I, I, I didn't mean to hurt that guy. How can I know that he had a bad heart? Well, that's not why I'm here. Okay, actually I thought that was part of the show. Until the paramedics showed up, I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> Episode 15, Fire in a Hole. Fire in a Hole. 15. Not too bad. Not too shabby. It goes fast. It does. It does. And uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of proud of how consistent we've been with this. Um, I can't say the same for the rest of my life. <laughs> but uh, this has been the, uh, the one uh, feather in my cap as far as consistency for the last uh, couple of months. Yeah, we've uh, been successful at releasing at least one every every week. Yep, yeah. Yep. And uh, with just about a week to go to Christmas, uh, should we should we tell the listeners what we've got uh, what we got for them? Is this one coming out at Christmas? Not well. This one is coming out next. This is one's coming out Monday, so they're listening to it actually no, now. This, this it's is Monday. coming out the Monday after next Monday. Correct. Yeah. So this one's coming out after Christmas. Right. Right. All right. So happy New Year, everyone! Happy New Year, <laughs> man! Twenty fifteen sucked. I'm so glad it's twenty sixteen. Yeah, there we go. So, uh, like to welcome our guest, Mister Akil Goen. Hello. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Hey, was that the correct pronunciation? Akil, yes, that's right. Uh, so, should I be saying Akil Goen? Goen. Goen. Going a kill crazy, going going everywhere yeah going crazy yeah wow that's crazy this guys going places that's that's actually perfect because uh, uh there's a uh you are definitely a guy that uh has traveled and uh i thought maybe we could uh, address that a bit later but hey welcome to the show thanks thanks uh yeah, it's welcome, also man. it's also nice to see you man i haven't seen you in uh geez in a while yeah yeah it's been been a while but it seems like that's kind of uh the routine we have yeah, yeah, we uh, see catch up every now and then, but uh, we yeah. go back a long time if you think about it. Yeah, a good like ten years or so. At least, yeah, at least. Well, uh, Akil has uh, the uh, distinction of being uh, kind of my first uh, filmmaking partner ever. Uh, this is 
this goes back to like 2006 maybe 2005 something like that yeah uh very first uh, my the very first time i actually expressed the idea of being an actual filmmaker and playing around with that stuff uh so just after the first very first film i ever made and i say film but i use the term very loosely <laughs> Uh, because it was the it was lit- it was called the most it was called the most independent film ever made, and uh, it was just like it sounds. It was a crappy camera. I couldn't tell you what brand it was, but it was so shitty that <laughs> the battery in it didn't work properly. So you had to keep it plugged. Oh my god! So all the shots were basically at the mercy of the of the length of the power cord. <laughs> right, one location. Uh, we had Gene on and my friend Kurt. And we tried to film like this gritty interrogation scene between a policeman and, a, and like a thief, and it was supposed to be like a one one location. Wait, who was the thief? Uh, Gene. Gene was the thief. Yes, okay. Eric Jean. Eric Jean was the thief, and he did a fantastic job. Like he brought his full theatrical uh, uh, like powers to bear, and uh, it was the most awful thing ever. <laughs> but uh, I've never seen this before. I don't know where this film is. I, I'm hoping that. It's uh, lost somewhere. <laughs> Buried, locked up. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's the type of thing that if you actually ever make it in any way in the business, that some some fucking guy digs it up. And you're like, how? I don't understand. How did they find this footage? It's, it's going to make possible. it to the special box set. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But uh, shortly after that, um, when I moved uh, east, uh, I remember starting to think about the first movies. And I certainly had all the ideas in the world, but... Uh, I had like no technical knowledge whatsoever. And um, when it came to editing the first, when I was applying for film school, I remember uh, perhaps even before that, you were actually, you were into film before I ever touched it, right? You were already messing with that stuff. I think I started around maybe like 2003-ish, making home videos and stuff. Uh, Matter of fact, speaking of that, I was just showing uh, my coworkers this old Star Wars movie because it's kind of Star Wars week right now. And, uh, it is it ever, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they, they were having a good time watching it. Some special effects in there, some nice editing. Uh, then just like movies with my family. I had, <coughs> I had uh, a few uh, series with my, with my sisters and cousins. That's right, you got your sisters and cousins. I remember yeah. you showing me one of the first, first things because I guess I want to ask you this. Was the first thing that you were interested in the filmmaking or you thought like special effects? Because it seems like it was a little bit of both, maybe. It was. It started with visual effects because I came across a few uh, online tutorials that were like, how to do this effect you've seen from this TV show or, or movie or whatever. How to, how to, tell so, how to transport someone, yeah, Star Trek. I did a little Star Trek transporter. I beamed myself from place to place. <laughs> and uh, We all and, wanted to do that, of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And uh, from there, it moved on to how to make yourself disappear, how to make yourself, you know, shoot laser beams, whatever, holograms, uh, Gunshots. clone yourself, things like that. Gunshot, muzzle flashes. You made a... Lightsabers. Lights, yes, I was just about to say, I seem yeah. to recall you making a lightsaber. Yeah, that was the film I'm talking about, the Star Wars thing with my little brothers and sister. And now they're like in their 20s, but they were like 10 or something at the time. So Crazy. It's always hilarious. Do they still watch it? Do they still talk yeah, about it? Yeah, they still watch it. I, they posted it not too long ago. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that one. It's one of my first forays uh, into visual effects. So that's that was how I got into the filmmaking. I'm like, well, you know, these things can't just be test effects. They need some kind of story. Uh-huh. They need some kind of construction to 
context. Make it more effective context, exactly. Yeah. So effects led to storytelling. Yeah, Isn't exactly. that interesting? Yeah. I would actually wrap the stories around the visual effects. Okay. So <laughs> just, I need an excuse to yeah, do this. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, that's, that's how that came about. And then I, I started watching a lot of movies. Yeah, you are like, I swear to God, I don't think I've ever met someone who's watched as many or seen as many films as you have. Like, I have a distinct uh, memory of coming over to your house a, a bunch of years ago, and you had so many DVDs that I think some of them, like, you turned them into furniture. Like, there was a <laughs> chair made out, of, or it maybe it was accidentally piled that way, but there were, there were so many DVDs, it looked like a clearinghouse. Like, uh, maybe not that many. I think I had about 300, and, and I've seen collections that just, like, they put video stores to shame. Sure, so, now. But yeah. at that time, nobody had 300 DVDs. Nobody that I knew. It was, it was yeah, epic. You're right. I, I did collect them pretty, uh, pretty regularly. And, you've, you've, and you watched them all. That's the crazy thing, right? So people, some people just buy DVDs, like, impulsively. But you watched every single one of those films, yeah. possibly more than once. Quite a few of them I would, like, uh, I, I would have kind of, like pirated versions because they're too obscure to find you know by any legal means and uh like what know, are we talking about here like like foreign films foreign films okay. and and just strange cult films and things like that oh yeah because you're into like anime and um japanese korean all that other stuff right yeah 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 and now now we take it for granted right now we can just like punch it up on the internet in two seconds did but, you hold on to all those dvds I tried. I tried to sell a few, and uh, some of them, like there, I towards the end, I started becoming more of a collector, and then I just bought stuff and didn't watch it, and then I started buying the same things twice because I hadn't seen it yet, and I was like, oh, I already have this. <laughs> That's I, when you know you got a problem. <laughs> yeah. So That's then I, you know. I cut it. I cut it short. I think around 2011, I was like, okay, no more DVDs. Uh -huh. You had 2011 DVDs. Oh, no, I no, mean, I'm the year kidding. 2000. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he, he got them got from it, the future. <laughs> good, good observation, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> so do you still have them, or did you get rid of them? You, like, you uh, carry them around with yeah, you? Yeah, no, I don't really, like, I don't guard my collection and treasure it and build a shrine to it or, like, worship it anymore like I used to. Um, so I, some I've given away, some I just have lost. Uh, but yeah, they're kind of scattered all over the place, different different houses and things I've lent and never got back and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, it's it's crazy because uh, you know, like those are my two strongest memories uh, of is, is Akil, uh thousands of DVDs now three hundred, but it looked like thousands of DVDs, and also really one of the first, just like Julian Smith we talked to, who was um, kind of first one there when it came to podcasting. I think Akil, you're probably one of the first guys I met that was into the digital editing, um, like Adobe Premiere, um, way before it became any kind of standard or any kind of, like people were still kind of editing with, I guess, iMovie or um, uh, what would they use? Whatever the PC had, like the, the movie maker, right? Yeah, yeah, that's Windows movie maker. There was uh, no one at our level anyway doing it with, uh, like Adobe was intimidating as shit when I first saw it, but you were like, yeah, no, it's, it's actually pretty simple. True, yeah, Premiere Pro is what I worked with, and uh, I guess you could say, like, in the early 2000s, not too many people knew Premiere, like, the household name it is now, so. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, I could, uh, I could admit to that. I might have been on the, the forefront of video editing with Premiere. Then you got together with a bunch of filmmaker guys, or at least wannabe filmmakers, right? How did, yeah. how did that happen? 
Where did you meet those guys? Uh, a few, a few film geeks. Uh, just the Fantasia crowd. Um, I had a friend that I knew through high school, or his older brother, and then I met him. And uh, he's huge into Asian films, and and we all wanted to to kind of make whatever blockbuster, you know, we we we've enjoyed watching, and and uh, from there it was the script writing that rolled into you know making zombie movies and and it started with the tests of course because i always wanted to do the visual effects first so okay. like i made this guy kind of explode uh i shocked myself with lightning and <laughs> that's awesome uh, yeah <laughs> that's awesome like i always liked that about you like you were you were yeah. a, like a tinkerer right yeah, yeah like yeah, i awesome. would never occur to me to just film myself for like five minutes and then shoot you know hit myself with lightning or make myself disappear like that's that's really cool okay yeah so you start you start fooling around with that yeah so uh we made this uh this really wacky zombie movie um i told myself i wouldn't discuss it (laughs) (laughs) you know what's gonna happen (laughs) you know the ghost of that film will never be will continue haunting you for the rest of your days Okay, let me just bring it up. The movie, <laughs> put, put it in the context. The one thing you didn't want to bring up, you bring up within the first ten minutes of the podcast. Yeah, like I Rick, love it. Like Richard said, we we uh, we tackle the hard issues. That's right. right. This is fire in the hole. Or you heard it here right. first, guys. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it it was originally like I think we were uh, trying to get get it to the Fantasia Fest. It was very culty, very zombie movies, weird, wacky things, and whatever ridiculous idea you could come up with as a short film or feature gets its way in there you know genre bending stuff and and outlandish outlandish things that you kind of want to do it all yeah it seems like comedy action horror yeah exactly and with a fantasia film sometimes you get that, that opportunity because it's really culty and it's and, great for that yeah yeah so we were like let's do a fantasia film and it started off as a kind of a a movie about campers that meet aliens and zombies that infect the world and and so uh, far so good yeah (laughs) (laughs) but um i think there were some creative differences with the with the crew that with the ragtag team we assembled and uh differences how um well because you see fantasia has two different audiences it's got the artsy intellectual kind of you know art film type indie nerds <laughs> just yeah, say but the other ones are nerds too okay yeah. well okay these are i, I guess maybe film uh, like uh, sommeliers or or intellectual like they they dissect everything and yeah exactly uh, film know, studies nerds let's call angles them. and uh-huh. and dialogue uh you know symbolism and all that stuff. okay and then you have you know let's see do something that has never been done before no matter how ridiculous it is something funny something with lots of special effects uh let's blow stuff up let's have lots of blood and gore let's uh you know these were the two camps within your within your new filmmaking posse yeah exactly so So one wanted to like reinvent cinema and the other just wanted to blow shit up (laughs) that's amazing yeah kind of and have you know wacky zany scenes and just do just have a good time uh, and I was kind of caught in the middle. I was the uh, editor and uh, and doing some of the script writing. And uh, towards the end, the we ended up moving more towards. Well, it, actually, it ended up being kind of both. Which uh, is why it's it's not my pr- <laughs> proudest achievement. But like, if I guess you got to see it to judge. Anyway, the move. <laughs> 
the movie uh, ended up because we had it took maybe about three years to uh, to put together. We ran through a lot of crews and cast member uh, cast members, and uh, it changed direction a few times. And it was kind of something we wanted to get completed. Uh, you know, at all by any means. You're like, okay, for sure, yeah. this time we're gonna get into Fantasia, and then like it would go by, and like, okay, for yeah. sure, the next year's yeah, Fantasia. Yeah, so there were reshoots and rewrites and, and everything, and uh, in the end, it ended up being a film, like kind of, kind of an art film about making the zombie film, the zombie alien film. So it was to me, I, I thought that was like an editing dream, right? It's like a masterpiece, best of both worlds. Uh, okay, because you get to go all the crazy stuff, but it's yeah. it's meta and it's yeah, deep. it's very meta, yeah. and um, a lot of cheats had to be done with the editing, like explaining why scenes were missing, and <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it ended up having kind of a, a what's his name, uh, uh, the guy with Bella, um, Ed Wood. Ed Wood. Yes. Okay, that kind of thing. <laughs> Leave it in there. Okay, let's yeah. move on. Yeah, yeah Ed Wood kind of like let's try to stitch this thing together, but. But yeah, I was pretty proud of how it turned out. The effects were okay at the time. Um, the story didn't make sense, as complicated and confusing it would. would. It had kind of the intellect of something like, like if you've seen those, uh, uh, what should we call it? Um, there's like those Charlie Kaufman being John Malkovich. Adaptation <laughs> is the one I'm thinking of. Okay. That was kind of like a story within a story within a story. Right, right. So yeah. The first inception in a way. Yeah. Um, Cageception. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, yeah, that's how it turned out. But you no, know, I was just a little embarrassed about it because, like, your first film isn't always your proudest work. Sure. And, uh, no, I, I can I can relate to that. But I must say, the the level of clusterfuck that is that film actually has turned it into a masterpiece. Of like, <laughs> it's the kind of film that uh, you can insert into a university or like to a film school, and just sit back and watch people be so so confounded that they will need to find meaning and they will find a meaning like because it's it's got by this point it's, it's changed layers. but it in its pieces as you look at it, it it's got a bunch of really great great things in it as a whole it's a frankenstein like but with 12 arms uh, and six legs and four heads right yeah at least i'm giving you my interpretation here yeah no i, I agree it uh it's it's got layers and depth and maybe it'll be uh unearthed and, and examined for uh, all the complexities yeah i hope aliens find it honestly <laughs> <laughs> they'll it'll like they'll just turn around and leave they'll be like well, these guys are nuts we can't we can't stay we can't we can't take over these people they're they're too uh they're too complex we gotta go but i one one thing i remember as well about that the shooting of that um is that i kept hearing these little stories from common friends about the things that you guys would do to get some of this footage like I, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is maybe a legend here, but um, I heard about one time that you guys went to a mall and you were filming and you, of course, didn't have the right to film there or didn't, <laughs> you just kind of were oh, doing yeah. it guerrilla style? There was a ton of guerrilla. The whole thing was guerrilla because we didn't have rights to shoot anywhere or anything. And some of the shots we got um, before security chased us out were, were worth the trouble. Nice. <laughs> you had a team on lookout, didn't you? Yeah. Did you have like always. a security team lookout thing? That's great. Yeah, um, for example, there's a scene uh, where um, the, <laughs> so the, speaking of meta and subtext and inception and all that, um, there's a scene where the director of the film is uh, slamming one of the actors against uh, the hood of a car 
uh, kind of kicking him out of the mall, saying that, you know, you're not allowed to shoot here. What are you doing? And that scene is exactly was happening at the time. It was happening at the exact time. The the guy playing, the the director was playing the security guard, and uh, the security was kicking him out while he was pretending to be the mall kicking the the actor out. Whoa. (laughs) That's some next level shit right there. So, yeah, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we did have a few scenes where we were uh, we were uh, in, in in Verdun, uh, and you know, were a ton of us kind of disheveled to look like zombies or victims of zombie attacks, and uh, there were police officers and security guards and SWAT team personnel um, in the area, and they all had uh, they had these guns that we we didn't uh, they were like like props. They were props, of course, and. Kind of worse than toys because they didn't look like toys. Um, the and they were all painted like solid black. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I know, we know the prop master. Yes, yeah, sure. very well done. So, uh-huh. uh, so apparently a neighbor had witnessed us removing the guns from the trunk or something like that, and they called the police. They sent like two cars after us, and then the cops come out and strut around asking us what they're doing, tell us put our hands up. And, Whoa! Yeah, and then we told them we were making a zombie movie, and the cops started reading it and laughing and so yeah it all, <laughs> you, all you said reading it yeah they were reading this the oh, like you showed them the script <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they needed evidence right they were they of were, course yeah, are they so. giving you notes yeah they were they were like can i be in can it? i be in it i was just about to ask if they because that's really like they're probably really happy that it wasn't an actual domestic disturbance situation oh, shit, yeah yeah uh like uh although this is pre like paranoia we're now uh and uh funny thing happened to me just yesterday actually and I'll, I'll quickly insert this if I may I'm at a diner with my kids and uh, my girlfriend and we're just like you know we're eating and um, a couple of uh, people come in and sit like not one but like one table over from us so there's a table between us and them and uh, it's a diner it's like a 50s diner with smoked meat and like greasy spoon type of thing it's it literally it's frozen in time you know and i love it for that reason because you can Little still many jukeboxes at the table totally stuff. Yeah. that kind of deal yeah even the waitresses seem like i don't know where they go to hire these women but they're straight out of like the 1950s mm-hmm. and they keep getting new ones and by new i mean new old ones <laughs> There's only one of them that's like under 50, and that's because they have a second floor that they have to open up sometimes. And Ryan, so when you stone stone glasses, and the, the deal, the like the thing. little uh, wisp of gray hair in, in the weird haircuts. And what can I get you, hon? Totally. Yeah. Like raspy, vo- like if they could still smoke indoors, they would. And they would take your order while like their cigarettes hanging out of the corner of their mouth. But they're sweethearts, right? And you can get greasy spoon food, old style, that's not nasty. Mm-hmm. But it's none of this like. Uh, uh, you know, it's not fancy. It's not hipster food. It's good old-fashioned burgers, fries, and smoked meat sandwiches. So this this uh, family comes in, and uh, you know they're pretty plump or whatever. But that, that's not an unusual sight because this is where people come to sin. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is not where people come to lose weight. Some people come here and they're like they double down on everything they're not supposed to eat, um, and have a bit of a look of shame on their faces. Can I have a side of oil? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the gravy drinkers, the gravy drinkers. Uh, there's also like there'll be surprisingly like like average looking people in there who who have a, a, a fast food problem, but they don't want to probably. They're alone. That's how you know they're not eating with anyone. We're talking about you, Fred. We're talking about you, Fred. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so this 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 like kind of chubby 
couple comes in with like a third chubby guy and I notice the third guy because he's got this serious crew cut uh, and he's got this utility belt and like he looks kind of straight out of uh, what is what was that show Kings uh, King of Queens King not not King yeah. of Queens a little bit King of Queens but what was there that animated show um, King of the Hill oh yeah King of the Hill King of the Hill right so <coughs> They sit down and like the couple like sits facing me from the other table and I notice the guy has a huge American flag on his cap and he's got the beard and I was gonna say Batman utility belt or <laughs> army utility belt right yeah probably neither but or yeah. is he a trucker or whatever but like this really uh, like cartoonish the you know like when you stereotype small town America yeah. like that's what they look like exactly you know. And they were on their way in. They're like loud and they're like, oh my God, I haven't eaten in like two hours. And blah, blah, blah. And they were like, Yeehaw. and I'm like, Jesus, is there, is there a hidden camera somewhere? <laughs> like I've never actually met Americans like this. I've seen them in movies. But mm-hmm. so they sit down and they're not bothering anybody. They're just having their food and they're complaining about the portions being too small. When in fact, the portions in this restaurant are ridiculous. They're ridiculous. Like Not by American standards. No, they fail by small town America standards. She's yeah. like, my God, they call this a poutine? And like, <laughs> she was really upset. And I'm getting the odd glance from the crew cut guy already, right? Because he sees blonde girl with half blonde kids and not off-white looking fellow. Hmm. Possibly Latino, possibly Indian. But he's not like giving me dirty looks. He's just sort of like, oh, right? And then... I'm just sort of trying to tell my girlfriend, like, oh, ch- check it out. It's, like, straight out of a TV show. Like, these these yokels just showed up. Um, not to make fun of them, but it was an odd sight. They're just, like, they're caricatures. Yeah. yeah. It was just, I was like, really? These people do exist. Yeah. Right. And in comes another family now sitting between <coughs> us and the other, and the yokels. And it's a full bearded, like, like Muslim dude. Like, shaved head thick bushy beard you know like alad out if you will okay. right and with the dutiful wife next to him and the, the the gorgeous little kid that's all quiet and stuff and another another caricature another another fucking caricature right because <laughs> i mean these families exist of course but yeah. so I've, I've seen the muslim family before but i'm like really really like right here right now this is what's happening <laughs> <laughs> and they're gonna take the table right next to the fire hole uh, right next to the, the the hillbillies, and dude, you should have seen the look on the the crew cut guy's face. Right, it was like Walter Sobchak from uh, from uh, Big Lebowski. Like he he was like he was he wasn't like offended, but he was like he went on 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 guard on guard. Like the uh, threat level just went up in yeah. his face. He's he's gone to orange. <laughs> he's gone to orange, and he's ready for action. Right. So it was very tense, 25, 30 minutes, but uh, nothing happened, thank God. Uh, and they just, uh, they forgot about it when the food got there and it was all quiet. But <laughs> all this to say is that, uh, you know, these things happen. What these, an odd these, situation weird, to be in. These weird... And you're stuck in the middle? Yeah, these weird cartoonish situations, like being tossed out of a mall while filming a gorilla film and filming a scene about being tossed out and so forth right so yeah it's a bit of a surreal situation right for sure for sure so did the cops make it into the film no well i made a special features which uh i'm pretty happy with like i i did a lot of looking up on how special features are edited and put together and made a little highlight reel the bloopers and all the stuff like you know the cops in the background 
and uh, all the little pitfalls and troubles. I mean, it was over three years, right? So we got a lot of that stuff. And, uh, <laughs> the feature edit is like 10 minutes long. and uh, It's probably amazing. I, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. I, I got opinions that it was better, better than the movie. Better than the film? <laughs> well, it almost takes on like that uh, Lost in La Mancha kind of thing, right? Where the film itself didn't exactly come out, but the adventure itself is al- almost the film in itself. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever, excuse me, have you ever considered doing that, like turning it into an actual documentary? Um, but that I, would mean editing the film again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, I kind of look at the film itself as a documentary just because it was so meta and that everything kind of happened as it was progressing in, in the making of the film. Like the movie is about making the movie. and So now it's a documentary about a movie about ma- trying to make a movie. If I understand correctly, yeah, that's where we're just at. Make the my brain explode. Falls <laughs> of guerrilla, yeah, filming. Well, you guys were dedicated. I remember that, and I just recalled that. I think there's. I don't know if you kept it, but I did a scene in that film, didn't I? You did. <laughs> it was one Jesus, of the I just remember yeah. that. Oh my God! I was. I actually did a. I did a cameo in that. How the hell did I agree to this? <laughs> <laughs> You what, what was the scene? I was a cop. Was I a dirty cop? Yeah, you were a dirty cop, and the 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 main character. So the the, the main character. This was, I guess, like within the film version of the movie that about making the movie, and uh, so like we distinguished from one to the other. You know, the film being black and white, and the rest being in color. Yeah. But the layers to that was that the uh, the color scenes happened over different amounts of time because a good chunk of them were flashbacks within each other. So uh, that, that took some editing, uh, <laughs> editing, uh, you know, tricks to pull off. You think we're exaggerating, Richard, but th- this movie is as complex as it sounds. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I so yeah, in the, in the uh, film <clears throat> version, uh, the, the main character who gets, who gets embroiled in this action hero adventure, trying to save the world from zombies and aliens, uh, is kind of on the run and it started off as he was a camper but he decided to that there was kind of a conflict the other the other filmmakers wanted to wanted him to be a businessman so th- they were kind of shifting between the two and right just when that shift was being decided on that he was a businessman and he got a briefcase um, the question was well what's what's in the briefcase and uh, the way that scene was kind of carried out was with Jason here being a dirty cop trying to you know, like I'm shaking him down or something yeah shaking him this down. is the only time I've ever been in a film night, by the way <laughs> oh did you have green hair at the time or? I don't remember shaking him down anyway the briefcase is revealed to have drugs in it and uh, he tries to say it was a, it was a joke about it being oregano right <laughs> yeah I, I have a vague recollection of being really on the outskirts of town like we were really far somewhere near a train track yeah yeah exactly and i just kept having to like ram him into the the the, the sort of station the little cubicle thing not cubicle yeah, but the little like waiting spot and i just kept <laughs> he's a he was a small guy what was his name do you remember his name uh todd todd yeah so i kept launching todd into the into the fucking thing over and over but i must say Sorry, uh, J- jason you had the best uh, blooper reel in the film and it's one that lives lives in infamy <laughs> when we think of blooper reels it's uh so ba- so when you're shaking in the character todd the the character down um he starts yelling hey you can't do this to me i have rights and jason says, what, says what was supposed to be my line something like 
so does everyone else or uh you know i don't even remember but so do so do um like uh, pregnant girls or I don't know what the hell this line was but single I was mothers or something. single mothers or I don't know what it was it was a really weird line and then I kept repeating it at some point I think I said uh, uh, preg- so do pregnant babies <laughs> but I yelled it with like so so much conviction right I was like yeah well so do pregnant babies and then like yeah, we're we were just thinking of keeping it in because it's like let's just say that's the, how the cop talks but now in retrospect this make in retrospect this this makes more sense than the actual dialogue like it fits in with the meta nature of the film yeah but uh, so there was richard my moment of greatness yeah. um okay well so that was quite an adventure but uh i think a lot of the guys that were in that or some of the guys in that actually went on to uh to uh, do some pretty cool stuff right i think ash went fully into the business, didn't he, as a special effects guy? Yeah, yeah, our uh, one of visual effects guy um, is, like, doing big, big pictures now, and, uh, yeah, I know he, he kept doing bigger project after bigger project. I don't know what he's working on these days. I haven't kept uh, in touch with him, yeah. but, but, yeah, it's it's uh, we're very I'm proud to have worked with him on that film. Yeah, cool that. guy, Ash, really cool yeah. guy. He I think the last time I talked to him a few years ago, he had worked on the special effects for uh, Max Payne, uh, which was, you know, not a great film, but the special effects were freaking cool. And it was, like, top level. Like, it was sure a it was. big, big studio production with uh, Mark Wahlberg. So you're keeping this all as, like, dirt, so that they, yeah. they get big, that you can use this. material. Yeah. <laughs> you may be, the sh- who's shaking who down now? Yeah. <laughs> right? You're going to ter- turn the tables. Turning the tables has become a theme uh, on our show. That's right. <laughs> That's nice. That's cool, man. What about the pregnant babies? What about the pregnant babies? Oh, so do pregnant babies. So um, you also write, correct? You also enjoy writing? Yeah, I think... um, You don't see those two sort of skills together very often. I mean, many have purported or many have posited that editing and and writing and directing are very similar. Uh, It's a storytelling skill at base, but... Mm -hmm. I've rarely seen someone who was really so technically inclined and, and interested in the effects and everything, but also uh, really into the story. So when did that start? When did you get so uh, into writing? Um, well, the thing is, I always kind of wrote short stories and poetry and random stuff like that. But in terms of screenwriting, that's that's relatively recent. Only within the last two, three years have I tried like doing screenwriting competitions and uh, things like that. Uh, I did a few like treatments, and I had some I have some ideas milling around. Uh, the last screenplay I wrote was a crime drama, like a, one of those legal thrillers in the courthouse kind of thing, but a bit of action adventure going on. And uh, that I'm pretty proud of. I didn't win any awards yet, and it's still got some touching up to do. But uh, well, it's one. It's it did it did win one award, the J. Ambrose Award. Because I read some of it. Most and, prestigious. Uh, yes, it, it was, uh, it was uh, you know, it swept the whole category. No, seriously, uh, I mean, I wouldn't, t- I wouldn't, honestly, the one type of artist I would never encourage if I didn't think they were good as writers, because everything else can is incredibly subjective, but um, uh, I definitely, I, I love your stuff, and I hope you, I hope you stick to it, man, because it's, uh, you've got some ideas, and, and just based on them, I think you're a, a would you call yourself a cinephile? Would you say that you're uh, you write because you love watching movies, or you just 
you write because like you like movies and you'd like to write them you like to create movies like that they're not so much intertwined i kind of just like writing and i like movies and they're two separate worlds for me that just happen to merge with the, the few screenwriting efforts i've had uh i prefer writing in more you know abstract and kind of flowery language that you don't get to do with the screenplay because you kind of just have to describe what's on the screen and you i found myself a little bound by that like i couldn't there were a few scenes where I, in my first draft i i wrote you know all the tension and the beads of sweat dripping and you know the the moments the, the lulls between uh you know who's looking at who and who's going to say and do what next and things you just can't express in a visual you know screenplay format uh, or at least not the way that you, you would want to uh, with those limitations. So, um, yeah, short stories. I'd like to write a novel or two or something. But, um, but yeah, there are two separate worlds. Writing is a different passion. I've, I have been writing a long time, just uh, for, for screen, not, not very long. Yeah, it's, a, it's, not, it's not easy. It's not easy. And I don't know, they say that you get the impression that the writing is getting weaker, or at least the movies are coming out. We, we're seeing, it seems like the writing isn't, the effort isn't there. Maybe the demand for this kind of writing isn't there. I don't know. Um, like the dialogue seems like it's a, it's kind of a dead art well, form. Right? That seems to be like that. If you're doing screenwriting, that's, that's where you can be the most creative, I guess is like the flowery, flowery language that you're talking about. Is, is well, it, not even is because in, you're just describing what the audience sees. So you can't really use many adjectives and adverbs and and. Uh, but that's setting the scene. But like the, the the you're writing also the dialogue between the characters, right? Oh yeah, in the dialogue you get to be a little more creative, especially if you want to distinguish one from the other. You have to give them their little quirks and ways that they talk. If you're so, that kind of writer, because you know there are there are like the Tarantinos who uh, can do a little bit of both, but clearly it's the their style is the dialogue. Like you know you're listening to. <laughs> Yeah, a Tarantino movie immediately because of the bizarre way that kind of people talk and old timey way that they talk. But some, I don't know. That's the thing. That's interesting what you're saying because if you're really good at describing scenes and actions, uh, and you build a really interesting story visually, but not dialogue wise, I wonder if that is as appreciated. Probably not. Right, well, like if you perfectly describe a person, you know, running from, let's say, a policeman through, and you you add all this really good, colorful language, uh, and even the geography is like alive, and everything you're saying, how the person is evading the policeman, um, I don't see that script getting picked up as fast as someone that has like witty dialogue or maybe you're one of those guys on set who fixes the script, like the script doctors, yeah, yeah, like as you're as you're going along. Possibly making changes that gets doctored a lot. Yeah, that's true. That's one of the region uh, re regions that gets uh, touched up the most once yeah. a script is out in the wild. A lot of the uh, competitions I applied for with my screenplay, they gave back that feedback. Like they give you a good page or two of notes, like even down to specific uh, uh, notes per per page or per line. Uh, things that they just pull out and highlighted, and often they said, you know, stop giving all these this descriptions with so much detail that the audience can't see i mean it looks great and to read and use your imagination for but if that's how you want to write write a book <laughs> you know like okay that's interesting so yeah they, they really frown on that kind of thing at, the, at least the script read reader gatekeepers of the 
film world. Interesting. Like, I never thought about that. I guess that makes a lot of sense. I mean, because a lot of that stuff is is up to the cinematographer, up to the director, up to in order to add those elements. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, the way I was learned uh, with screenwriting, uh, Michelle Chaquette, who was the screenwriting teacher that I had, uh, even before I got into film school, this was like a, one of those independent classes that you can take. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to get this guy who um, kind of said what you just said. He said, it should be a good script, should be almost just like a manual. Um, and Enter stage right. Yeah, stuff. <laughs> and I mean there are shooting scripts, right? To be fair, like there are you write shooting scripts where that's just like straightforward directions of where the camera went, how and who, but that it should have a minimum of of uh, emotional explanation, because like according to him, and I agree with him to a certain degree, you shouldn't waste too much time explaining how the actor should be uh, interpreting this particular character. Right. You may want to leave a note like angry or upset. But if you keep, you know, if the line is, you know, uh, I'm going to fucking kill you. Right. Then you don't need to put angry or menacing there. Right. And you should leave some room for the director because that's his job is to come in and say, you know, I feel like this line is an angry line, but let's do it really quiet for it to be even creepier. Things like that. Mm. He essentially his recipe was the perfect script is the one that. No matter who picks it up and shoots it, even though it may have a different decor and different look to it, the core of the story is always the same. Yeah, it's always going to be the guy loses his family and decides to take revenge uh, on the bad guys, right? And maybe that happens in space. Maybe that happens underwater. <laughs> uh, maybe the guy becomes a girl, but the core of it is always there. Mm. And I think that's the way I've always tri- tried to write. I don't know. It's a weird way to. It's a weird way to write. It's a very strange way to write. Yeah. I think that might be why a lot of the best movies are adapted from a book. Uh-huh. Because it's, it's written in a different way and then adapted to screenplay with, with all the baggage that comes along with it and all the, you know, the flowery language that is already kind of set. So, yeah. like the... Yeah. Well, the adaptation is a, is a bitch, you know, and then when you're... I'm sure, yeah. When I was younger, I don't know how you feel about it, Akil, but... When I was younger, whenever we'd see a film that was like based on, you know, like The Last of the Mohicans, Count of Monte Cristo, uh, all of those films, right? Immediately, the even today, like people are like, this is bullshit. The book didn't have this part in it. And yeah, no, the, the book, book this, better. the book is better. Or a Watchmen was a good example, uh, how that will leave. The problem is, I think, with the adaptation formula is that the draw of the film right the 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 way that it makes itself attractive is it says remember lord of the rings and you're like yes of course this book changed my life okay we're doing it live action oh my god and then like all the lord of the ring book fans get super excited mm-hmm. now i'm not using a good example cuz there they actually did a fantastic job right? right like peter jackson knocked it out of the park but uh, last of the mohicans was one where they they trounced the book you're talking about built-in audiences. Yeah. So the, 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 this is the reason why so many people get pissed off at comic book films. Yeah. And they're like, that's not the character. Uh, that's not how it was. Like, that's not Batman. That's even worse because Batman gets rewritten every six months. Seriously. Right? By another writer, another artist. He gets reinterpreted like 
500 million ways. How the hell do you make a Batman movie that's going to unite the fans? That's not happening. Someone's always going to go, well, no, no, Batman was always more of a detective and more of a scientist, and right? Yeah. And then if you do that movie, then no, 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 no. Where's Batman, the gritty, vigilante, vigilante street thug with the you know taped hands battling more guys that he can take, hmm. right? So for books, at least you're only disappointing at one time. <laughs> with comic books, you're dead. Hmm. You cannot adapt. And uh, like Count of Monte Cristo, actually, I remember specifically watching the featurette. It was the first time I heard someone talk about adaptation. And the guy said, I'll be very honest. If we tried to adapt the book as is to a film, it's not doable. It would be a boring film because a large portion of the Count of Monte Cristo is about his incarceration and the dullness and the suffering of the endless days that go by right and like you, you can't, can't subject an audience to that no there's a reason we don't see characters go to the toilet right yeah. unless there's a shootout in the toilet then it's cool mm-hmm. but we don't we cut out the mundane stuff as much as right. possible right so um yeah like you said it's a weird writing style you have to kind of break all the uh, instincts that you have i think i don't know does any th- any of this make sense to you yeah absolutely uh it's uh, there have some been adaptations that I found worked okay. Like I'm thinking, uh, you know, Jurassic Park and Poltergeist and those old school ones. But uh, these days, it's like yeah. Yeah, Jurassic Park was a book. I keep forgetting that. Yeah. But I almost feel like it, I almost feel like it cannot be possibly any anywhere close to be as being as exciting as a book than visually. Or am I wrong? Is the book really good? I don't remember the book. But, I mean, just knowing that it's an adaptation and the success that Jurassic Park had uh, kind of says a lot. Uh, there wasn't too much disappointment or uproar or fear over uh, over how it came out. Right. Uh, have you seen the new, the new Poltergeist? Did no, they remake but, it? Yeah, uh, they remade it. It was only a matter of time. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see it. Did you see the original? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah do, sure. you, do you feel it still holds up? Uh, I haven't seen them in a bunch of years, but there was a creepy aspect to it. There was this whole thing where the the little girl, in who goes missing in the in Poltergeist, like she was uh, she was sick, and they 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 misdiagnosed her. She had something wrong with her dige- digestive tract. This is the actress. The actress. Okay, yeah. in real life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, in the later, there was I think there's three of them. That sounds about right. And she was a great actress, and and then she ended up dying on the on the set uh, or during the filming of oh, the third shit. one. And I apparently, didn't like it, it just like this, they weren't even sure if they were going to put out the third one because she had died. And then there was this whole back and forth on whether they should put it out or if that would just be you know, disrespectful, in, in, yeah, in bad taste, sort of thing. They ended up putting it out. Apparently, it was just like she was just misdiagnosed and she died. Shit. Uh, like something that was relatively treatable. Like I don't remember exactly it. what it was, okay. but yeah. Crohn's like disease or something. Something. Like if they'd given her the right antibiotic, it would have been fine, but they thought it was this other thing. And and she's, uh, you can see her like in the movie, she's kind of like uh, swollen from, from, the, oh, no. from the medication and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she had died on it added to the creep factor of the whole thing like yeah. you watch the movie and you realize like oh this kid is dead you know? there's a bunch of films like that though there, that cinema has always had that weird um, sort of uh, a crossover with real life 
madness. Mm. You know, I'm thinking about um, three men and a little baby. I don't know if you know that story. What happened there? Well, apparently the apartment that they filmed it in. Um, oh, the ghost thing? Th- there was a kid that fell out of the window. Okay. Uh, and then apparently there's a scene. I, I, I remember watching it. Like uh, there's a scene where you can freeze frame it and there's, it looks like there's a child hiding behind the curtain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a big thing about that. Is it a ghost? Uh, yeah, what is it? Like yeah. a shadow. There's a it's bunch like... of these these on on the set stories that are so messed up, like uh, uh, the Mel Gibson Jesus Christ movie, um, like oh, uh, the yeah. Passion of the Christ. Of the Christ. Yeah. Uh, I, I read that Jim Caviezel or something got hit by lightning like more than once while they were doing the film. Like th- these aren't like uh, conspiracy theories here. These are like recorded events. Um, then you have like the bizarre ones, you know, like uh, Brandon Lee dying on the set of The Crow from a weird, like uh, from a blank, from a badly loaded, uh, like uh, gun. And then all the conspiracy yeah, theories. But he put it up to his head and, and pulled the trigger and killed right. himself. Yeah. Which but like even with a blank, you don't want to do that. You don't. But like they were all kinds of what, conspiracies. Was that it? Am I remembering it right? I don't know if someone shot him or if he shot himself I don't I don't okay. remember but I, I remember reading that it was like this little piece of fabric that was loaded into the gun that actually killed him or something but and, his, his, and Bruce Lee was, kind of died under mysterious circumstances too right? yes so immediately contra like immediately conspiracy started to rise it was about, a huge thing at the time he wanted to he that that his son had wanted to reopen the investigations about his father's death and stuff and then that suddenly he was you know who knows if it's true or not but hmm. there's always like these kind of uh, making of mysteries are always mm-hmm. very interesting but I didn't know about the polter poltergeist one that's crazy yeah poor poor girl she uh, she died at a very young age right i think she was the only one either there were a few other cast members who who bid it uh shortly after or during had had you know mysterious accidents and dangerous mishaps oh is that true yeah i I think there's a little like if you buy the special edition blu-ray there's uh there's a little pamphlet that comes doesn't it doesn't disclose all the The particulars but it kind of tells you you know little tidbits and trivia like the fact that they used uh, real skeletons for the third act of the movie when all the zombie skeletons start coming out the ground because the Indian burial grounding. Oh, yeah. They, they used real medical lab subjects and threw them in, in the pool. And so the screaming she's doing at it from it is really horror, real horror. Because oh, my Jesus God. Christ. <laughs> all those people who donated their their bodies for medical science. I know. <laughs> had no idea this was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Just keep that in mind when you're signing the back of your uh, <laughs> Medicare card. <laughs> that, that you might end up this in a happen. fucking fucking horror movie <laughs> as what a prop. The hell? How could you even do that legally? Yeah. Well, there's got to be they must have gone into like the Jane Doe <laughs> pool, <laughs> right? There's got to be a bunch of Jane Doe, John Doe bodies that they skeletons that they don't do, do anything with, right? I guess so. That's got to be it. But they're rigging these skeletons up to like pulleys and stuff to try to make, <laughs> like, make them pop out of the ground. Well, they like pop out of coffins and stuff like that. It's not like they come and start attacking people. They just sort of appear, right? Because they start popping out of the ground to scare yeah. the, the homeowners living there. And I remember there's a scene where like they try to take refuge in the pool or land in the pool, like the, the wife does, and. And she's in the pool gasping for air, and then the skeleton pops up next to her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah. Creepy as hell. Yeah. Creepy yeah, those, as hell. Those, uh, those movies left an impression for sure. But uh, I love reading about that stuff, like the, the weirdness that happens, and, uh, you know, like uh, 
Speaking of Star Wars, you know, uh, hearing about how Mark Hamill almost died, I think, during the making of or just before Empire Strikes Back. Car uh, accident. Yeah. And that's yeah. and that's why he looks so emaciated in the second one. And but that strangely worked because <laughs> he was supposed to be kind of, you know, roughed up and in a really bad way. Yeah, there was some conjecture that the that the scene where he gets brought into the cave by the monster, what was it called? Yeah, uh, I'm when not I, sure. I don't think it has a name. The abominable snowman. Yeah, <laughs> and then he like his face gets fucked up. Yeah, like there was some conjecture that like they did that in order to cover up his uh, cover up the injuries. Did, yeah. Well, you can just tell. Like, you can tell he's lost all of his like um, baby fat and and sort of uh, youthful. Like he's been through a hair something something incredibly harrowing, and he aged like f- fucking ten years. Yeah, and he doesn't what, look the same age at all. At all, uh, I mean, look at him in New Hope. Uh, he's like a he's he a looks baby, like a he's seventeen like year old heartthrob, like t- tiger beat cover yeah. kid, right? And then by the second, you're like, oh, Jesus, is he doing crack? What's, what's yeah, going exactly. on? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We are the future, Charles, not them. They no longer matter. You're also an avid cosplayer, an unofficial avid cosplayer from uh, what I've seen, and you are uh, you're like a wicked one too. You've you've banged out some some sick costumes. You've been you've been comic coning before it kind of became a, a super mainstream thing, haven't you? Um, I well, I did the San Diego thing before you know it became this event where it was sold out a year in advance, and it's no longer anything to do with comics. Right. You were actually you were actually going when there was comics being traded and stuff, right? Yeah, uh, I think I went. I went to '09 and '10, I think, and then after that, it was like, why even bother? The tickets are sold out. The place is going to be super stifling, and and it's just going to be like a crowd. Movie you know. studios and corporations have taken over. Yeah, it's, it doesn't really have the you know the niche and cult vibe that I liked about it. Well, what's 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 different? Like, what was it about it before that what made it so cool? Um. It's hard to say. I think just mostly because there was a lot of uh, advanced, like, sneak peek, look at this thing coming out a year in advance, news on a show that you won't be able to get. But, like, now with the internet, you know, everything leaks and the world knows about everything. Like, this, there's no more ain't it cool news. Like, you have ain't it cool news kind of... Yeah, it's kind of obsolete <laughs> almost. Yeah, because people find out and, and torrents are just all, like, everything can be found within seconds at your fingertips now. And uh, it's I know, I know that's giving the movie studios a hard time. Yeah, although they've, they've sort of um, used it to their advantage as well, right? I mean, there's a lot of this uh, purposeful leaking going on. And mm-hmm. um, studios even started releasing um, those set pictures, you know, that looks like somebody snapped it without the permission of anyone but they wanted yeah. you to get a glimpse at superman or whoever so like that you can get the buzz going yeah, yeah for sure it's but hard to tell now yeah, i did like the exclusivity uh and you know maybe meeting some of the actors and celebrities you've you've seen um getting to know them whatever you, you get to chat with them a little bit more i guess now than now yeah now like good luck uh, even you know being able to see them in the crowd uh uh, charging like hundred dollar autographs. Yeah, it's just a cash like, grab now. Yeah, it's so it's, gross. It's, yeah, it really. Yeah. It's it's gross and it's sad. Because like Julian Anderson will be there and George Takei and obviously, I don't know Steve Amell or whoever the Arrow guy or whatever, whatever sexy woman or man is on a current show that geeks are into. Yeah, but I then see. you'll have all these like 
forgotten <laughs> these has-beens yeah. sort of in the off in the corner kind of twirling their thumbs hoping someone will come by and it's so sad to see like a an old wrestler or oh i played uh, the engineer on that forgotten sci-fi show <laughs> that had a season expendable crew member number two yeah yeah and he's just sitting there sort of hoping somebody throws a couple of dollars his way uh-huh. yeah it's it's a it's a hard thing to see but like uh akil has has some of the best costumes i have ever seen i haven't had that many actually i've done afro samurai a couple that times. one was off the chain you have we've got to post we I'll, that will be the picture we'll, we'll include <laughs> with your uh with your uh interview i improved it on like my second go round because it was such a hit when i, I dressed up as afro with, uh, you knocked it out of the park it was the best afro samurai costume i've ever seen wow i appreciate i appreciate that uh i think the second one i had like a cart not a cardboard but like a wooden sword like the type of thing you'd find you know in, in chinatown or something and uh which is a perfect. And I ended up getting a real, actual handcrafted Afro samurai sword for my my revisited revisit to the to the costume for uh, Fan Expo in uh, Toronto. And uh, you got a reaction, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. Well, the thing is, I couldn't like weapons weren't allowed. And oh, this yeah. was a real weapon, right? And I had I had the sheath, so I couldn't unsheath it. Like I did a little bit when I can for, for people wanting pictures or whatever, but uh, I was kind of breaking the rules with that. Um, yeah, you bring up a good point, man. Like that's another thing that's uh, post nine eleven world uh, has impacted these comic cons, right? Is that you've got like uh, anywhere from a dozen to um, to like fifty Deadpool's and Deadshots and yeah. and like all these superhero guys with weapons showing up. Like realistic looking weapons. Yeah, some of them probably even showing up with like real, real with guns. Real ones. Yeah, right? you wouldn't know. In the states, for sure, it must happen. And yeah. now they kind of have to check all that stuff. They were even last one I went to, they were even let making the Jedi cosplayers take off the blades from their from their. They could only walk around with the hilts. Really? Which, which I thought was really weird. Hmm. Yeah, because like things plastic. You know, what are you gonna even if it's glass? Like, what are you gonna do with this? glass lamp uh fake jedi saber right busted over someone's head or something i guess yeah i guess overzealous uh security teams i mean i can understand the concern certainly you know we've got legit guys walking around with bows and arrows like it could get out of hand for sure uh especially since people like to you know play around and you know horse around and stuff i guess i guess to to protect people but yeah it's gotten a bit ridiculous like, you know, if, you, if your stuff is made out of cardboard, like, come on. Seriously. You know, all the work you put into it. So are you are you still into that? Are you, are, what's your next one? What are you, what are you preparing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have anything in mind. Uh, I, I might do, uh, what's his name, Finn from Star Wars, since he's like the it guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that. Star Wars is, uh, you know, uh, two days away or something, right? The premiere already happened. It already happened, right? By the time this goes out, it will have been like two weeks ago. Yeah. So is that a, is that a big thing? Is it because okay? Yes, Black Jedi. Uh, he's like the the Black Luke Skywalker, I guess, or yeah. whatever. Uh, is it as big of a deal as 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 uh, I think it is? I think it is culturally speaking. Yeah, I mean, uh, I. I was impressed that he he got that moment he did in the trailer, right? It's the first face you see jumping out on the screen, and uh, and uh, I mean it's uh, it's pretty powerful to have like a black character as as the uh, today's equivalent. The main anchor, yeah. 
Yeah, and a, and a woman, right? So yeah. like a, a girl and a guy and a black guy being like kind of the main the main force behind it. And uh, yeah, so I, I think it's cool. I think it shows that, uh, I mean, clearly there was a, it feels a little bit forced, mm-hmm. you know, no, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> it feels a little bit, you know, uh, This I got the same kind of feeling when uh, Star Trek Voyager hit the air and I was like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I kind of beat you over the head with uh, how diverse they, they've become. I became suspicious. The Black Vulcan thing, I was like, okay, no, so far so good. I'm not suspicious yet. And the uh, Asian science officer, oh, mm, mm. female captain, uh, okay. Not only female captain, but female infallible captain. Infallible captain, yeah. And uh, like every captain that's come before her, of course, infallible, nev- infallible. And uh, the 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 all the the whitest guy on that show was the chauffeur. He was the pilot, right? So that was interesting. <laughs> but it only really, <laughs> uh, and his name was Paris, <laughs> right? And he had been in jail too. He oh, yeah, yeah, he had been true. incarcerated. Yeah, it was a redemption story for him. Yeah. So it was it was amazing. And then I think it's Chakotay that pushed me over the line. Oh, Chakotay. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chakotay, now you're like, he's even got like the tattoo in his face and everything. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I didn't mind Token it overall. native guy. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Native American. Driving Americans. Miss Janeway. <laughs> Driving Miss Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And there was, of course, a half Vulc- uh, sorry, half a Klingon uh, engineer woman. Right. So, yeah. yeah, the whole thing read like a affirmative action uh, <laughs> In space, space, space. <laughs> but I'd figure by 2015, uh, this wouldn't be such a big an issue. But you're right, it is. Because uh, this is not just like, okay, all black cast, all female cast. This is Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Arguably the biggest. Iconic. The biggest show on Earth forever. Mm-hmm. Even when it sucked, it was the biggest show on Earth. And uh, they they had the confidence to go. And I, from what I hear, he's a fantastic actor too. They didn't just pick a pretty boy. Yeah, I did see him in Attack the Block, which is kind of like a, a bit of an indie uh, alien invasion movie, and it was it's pretty, it was pretty good. It does mix the humor, the comedy and horror, thriller, action genre. That's an example of a Fantasia film. Is Attack yes. the Block? <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It does have that Fantasia feel. That yeah. equal parts uh, comedy, uh, equal parts just like. I mean, and I love the fact that Fantasia, and we've seen it grow too into something, right? Because it was a little little curiosity, fantasy, um, exploitation, like get together, right? And then now it's turned into an international phenomenon, right? There's mm-hmm. people coming from all over the world. Real movies are being featured there. And I think it serves a really, really, really important uh, purpose in giving a home to these films that would otherwise be written off as as uh, trash you know like uh what's that new one with the the nintendo kid or what a turbo kid turbo kid yeah turbo kid that's a movie that in the traditional hollywood system is like it's got nowhere to go it's gonna yeah. die a horrible death somewhere on a it's had huge success indie circuit yeah our, our buddy era who will be coming on the podcast at some point he he gets killed in that movie is that right he was yeah. he was he part oh, i'd love to i'd love to talk to him and, and get his experience on that he get he gets off in the turbo kid yeah <laughs> apparently in a spectacular fashion i haven't seen it yet so you know that's funny i should mention that uh when i was when i did uh punisher with uh with those guys back in the day and we had obviously needed a bunch of guys to to die horribly i was surprised at the the enthusiasm with which the random person on the street will, will love to get like executed in the film Right, like just people. There's no like, pressure. 
But specifically, Still they're like, not. do I get killed? But like, no, you just like you open the door for the guy. When he's like, oh, okay. Could I get killed though? Can I get killed after I open the door? <laughs> Could I like, they want a messy, messy, explosive <laughs> death. And they get really excited when you give it to them. For sure. That'd be super fun. I guess if you're, yeah. if you, it's, a, it's a fun story to tell, right? Definitely. Like I get blown away in scene two. And you get the footage of your head exploding or. You think that has something to do with it? Like a morbid, a morbid so. fascination with watching yourself getting uh, uh, executed. Maybe the same reason why Akil was uh, hitting himself with lightning. And yeah. <laughs> well, in that zombie movie that, that we were discussed earlier, um, because we had such a short list of cast members, I played the, z- the zombie most of the time. Over and over? Over and over. <laughs> and I kept getting killed by, you know, SWAT team members or the action hero or whatever in, in so many different ways. And it's, it's fun. That's a lot of fun. Over and over on screen. On, How did you on explain screen. that every zombie looked exactly the same? Uh, we didn't. <laughs> we just yeah, didn't once you, once yeah. you, if you ever see, uh, to, to actually name this movie, it's called General Tao Poutine, correct? That's right. GTP. That's GTP. Yeah. Um, once you see the movie, you it kind of, it's the least of your problems. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you notice the first is what I'm saying. But uh, I am fond very much. Of zombie clones. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why the hell not? Yeah, sure, right? why not? And uh, but you to get back to this dying in things uh, like even in Walking Dead, right? That became a huge thing for a while when the show hit its uh, peak. Is you have celebrities begging to be drafted into playing the dead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And also in um, in um, Game of Thrones, there's like a bunch of celebrities that have have signed up to be White Walkers and stuff. And oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, Mastodon, one of these was very popular metal band. Like, there's a scene apparently that they're all in it. They're all like oh, suited yeah. up and they're White Walkers or something. That's awesome. Um, so I guess there's just a fun fun factor in that. So if I ask you straight up, apart from what it means and what it looks like, um, are you excited that Star Wars? Are you excited about Force Awakens? Um, surprisingly, no. I mean, uh, the trail, I guess because they've kept, there's so much secrecy around it, which is really impressive. It's refreshing, yeah. Were in. Yeah, that, that no one knows the story, no one knows anything, and it's it's coming out in like a couple of days, or it's, it just came out. And uh, that's impressive. Is it Like the trailer didn't really reveal anything. That's true. And it didn't really, it's not the type of movie trailer that would excite you or build any kind of... Like, okay, seeing Han Solo and Chewie at the end is kind of gives you that, that uh, warm fuzzy. That was that, a shiver moment, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're home. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, there was nothing that really interests me. I kind of have a general idea of the characters. There's already been six movies, so I kind of know what, the, what to expect to, to a certain degree. So, no, I'm not really that excited. Um, gonna, do you think they're going to ignore the first, like, episode one, two, and three? Oh, let's let's hope. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> a new hope. I, I've stayed away <laughs> from uh, any spoilers or any uh, like conversations about it. But from the early screenings, what I have read in non-spoiler reviews is that it is a very, very heavily nostalgic. So it fully, fully goes into the nostalgia of Star Wars. Okay. But particularly the good stuff. Because JJ was he he was into Star Wars big time. He wasn't into Star Trek, which is nope. why he butchered that franchise. Correct, and I, I will forever, I will forever have a gripe with him for that reason. Because if he resurrects Star Wars, will you, will you be happy with him again? Well, that's kind of like saying, um, 
if a guy mistreated a girl that he didn't really want but just was using to get to the actual girl will i be happy once he's with that girl well i'll be happy because he'll be in his element and he'll be living a happy life but i'm still mad at what he did to that other girl <laughs> if you know what, what i'm he saying treats her real good uh, no, this is a horrible metaphor. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> no, but uh, at the same time, you know, it's all talk here. Uh, if I'm in J.J. Abrams' uh, shoes, um, I don't know that I would have done any different had someone said, let's say, okay, I don't know, Akil, what would be like a dream, dream, uh, either iconic film or series or franchise that you'd like to work on? What's like a big one for you? With J.J. Abrams? No, you just you specifically. Oh, my... I don't know. I just I let ideas come to me. I, didn't, I never had anything in mind. That, like if uh, someone said you could write the next the the Death Note the movie. Oh, okay, okay. Would that kind of kick your ass? That's a dream project. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, I would be pretty excited, yeah. right? Because I know how into Death Note. In fact, he made me discover Death Note, uh, which I think is actually being made into a film now, or has been already made. Yeah, there's a live action uh, Asian film that uh, that's half decent. I mean, if you. If it's what you can expect. That's good, As an adaptation, yeah. right. Sure. What is Death Note? Uh, maybe Hakil can break it down, but it's uh, it's actually very cool. Yeah, it's this, uh, it's this high school student uh, that uh, lands upon this, this notebook that gives him the power to kill anyone uh, just by writing down their name in it. And he can specify different ways that they die. Uh, by default, they just die of a heart attack on the spot. And... Uh, He's kind of an intellectual, and he's uh, he's very he's an egomaniac. So this landing in his hands makes him have a god complex. He's also and kind he, of assisted by like this otherworldly creature, right? Yeah, he's got there's these little Death Note gods that kind of monitor for their entertainment what what humans do with the Death Note, and uh, he decides to eh? just kill mm-hmm. all kill all the criminals in the world and make a utopia or his version of a utopia. But then things get out of hand and, you know, they have the FBI and everyone after him. And it's kind of like a cat and mouse kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, that got pretty popular the last two years. I think it came out like maybe five, six years ago. And uh, and that one and a few other animes are like really big right now. Okay, so name an anime that you was okay, but you weren't particularly excited about. That was like, all right. The thing is, I only watch the ones that I, I'm really interested in from the beginning. If I don't like it by the first you or ditch. second episode, it's like, no, I'm not giving it a chance. So uh, I haven't really... Okay. Well, I guess I'm... I'm, I'm... I see what you're trying to... You're trying to get something that would inspire me to want to make... Well, my, my the, the sort of complex way I'm trying to get to this point is that, let's say someone said, okay, you get to... You, you, you want to make Death Note. Okay, well, you know, we're not saying no. We'll consider it. But first, you got to write... You got to write me two of these movies based on this anime that you never really were into and you, you don't particularly find interesting. But if you can knock those out of the park, then maybe we'll let you touch the good stuff. Yeah. I don't know that I would have said no, right, mm-hmm. to that situation. So I think he did the best Star Trek that he could do in the, in the style that he could do it. But um, I guess I'm more annoyed. So it was with, a stepping stone for him, basically. Yeah, that's the insult to me. Yeah. It's that... Those two, Star Trek is such a thing on its own. Apart from having the word star in it, it has little to no um, relationship or similarity to Star Wars in any way. Um, 
or form and it very much has i mean it just heard george takei today talk about the uh the trailer to the next one that's being done by uh what's his name justin lynn yeah the gi joe guy yeah and they made him watch the trailer right there and he's like um this is going to be a great action movie but uh this is, is not star trek? <laughs> this isn't star trek like all the soul of it is gone and it was just nice to hear him say it finally because mm. when i talk about it and rant about it people are like oh you're just you're one of those guys and never wants anything to change and you're just being a party pooper and i'm like no there i'm all for innovation but not at the cost of the actual material you know just call it something else call it fucking something else don't tell me you can't there aren't a billion knockoffs but that's again we come back to the adaptation problem and I think uh, Sean Bechu, who if, if we ever uh, talk to him about this, him and I agree on this very strongly, is the reason we get so nerd ragey when it comes to uh, crappy superhero films or ad- comic book adaptations is because they're banking on our f- on our fan base to 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 warm up the plate, as it were, to get the the ingredients uh, popping and boiling and and smoldering. And then they, we become agents of this property and we start talking to everyone about it. Like, oh my God, the comic book, rah, rah, rah. And then like all the hype raises, rises, I mean, we go to see the movie and then they butcher, butcher the source material yeah. more than they need to, right? Like, well, it's except the adaptation stuff, like the stuff that gets lost in translation, but they will literally just pillage scenes and beats and lines from the comic that were only powerful because there was a huge buildup to that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And so far, the only thing I've ever seen uh, in that arena where they have not done that is uh, Daredevil. Oh, yeah. That's the one. They've even possibly elevated the Daredevil mythos. Um, yeah, that one's cool. So I watched, uh, did you, either of you guys see the, adapta- the live action adaptation of Attack on Titan? Oh, there's a live action one? Yeah, oh, I've been looking to forward to seeing it though. Ooh, that sounds expensive. Yeah. Oh my god. And visually, it's it's beautiful. It's it's actually two movies. They nailed came, it. Yeah, and that came out like uh, it's like Japanese two only. Uh, right now, it's yeah, it's Japanese only. Okay. But oh my god, is it horrible? Really? Oh no. Yeah, it's terrible. Like no the good. Fir- the first half is okay, but the second half is just like I mean, visually it's beautiful, but they just co- totally went off on their own direction and tried to tied up in a little bow and just it was it was laughably bad i think it was the worst adaptation of anything i've ever seen wow aside from like the i mean story-wise you know like visually it was really really well done okay just just horrible abysmal really yeah i don't know let me know what you think but yeah yeah it was well the 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 series part like i i had i had to stop no, I, I I continued out of like morbid curiosity, but it was it was really really poor. Wow. Yeah. I find that series just generally overrated. Anyway, I don't. Me too. I don't really get it. Like, wow. I thought like uh, like initially it's really compelling. Yeah. But then it drifts off into this uh, existentialism and and sadness, and and men do Japanese love their sadness, porn. Right. Mm. They love porn in general, but sadness porn. They love exploring sadness and 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 desolation and sorrow and heartbreak <laughs> over and over and over and over and over and at some point i was just like okay i'm just gonna i'm just gonna check out now before someone else's mom gets eaten <laughs> maybe it's just me but i i thought it was worse than uh m night Shyamalan's uh avatar 
Wow. That's saying a lot. Yeah. And you love the cartoon, right? Yeah I, yeah, I was a big fan. Yeah, no, speaking of butchering, oh my lord. Yeah, it was on the same level at least. I don't know. Maybe it's just fresher. It just feels like it was worse. Were you into the, uh, the Avatar uh, cartoon? No, don't know anything no. about it. Well, you certainly saw... Um, did you see the Shyamalan uh, adaptation? No. <laughs> Try to stay clear of Shyamalan. The last thing... I, I think I did watch that one about Satan in the elevator, but... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Was it... I forgot that, about that, that one. one. Is like no, Devil no something? Shyamalan Devil. Movie. I think it was called Devil. Something yeah. Devil. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. There's one where trees were attacking Mark Wahlberg. Oh, the Happening. Right, yeah. The Happening. The Happening, which even the name, even the name sucks. The girl, right. the lady in the water. Or girl lady in the water. water. Dude, there's there. now a a very rich uh, body of of not only parody but analysis of these horrible films he's are made. They, are they really? Oh yeah, Shyamalan is like a topic now. It could almost be taught in school as a as a. Maybe there should be elective. a Shyamalan uh, what not to do class. <laughs> well, it's just it's it's a fascinating story on so many levels. First, the the absolute like skyrocket uh superstar way that he came out of the gate yeah six cents yeah and and even unbreakable which now if you rewatch it, it it's not as good because the Shyamalan effect <laughs> i rewatched it actually uh, not that long but it's ago. still a very good still, movie it was decent yeah yeah if you sort of separate the douchery that you know he's capable of and mm-hmm. just watch it as a it's an innovative film yeah it's certainly a very subtle film yeah uh and he made uh no, no, it was it was actually quite good, but uh, now there is just like un- progressively worse and worse and worse, and in an in an epic way. It's it's not even just like he's not making good films. Like he, it's uh, watching the guy completely self destruct from one film to the other. Um, Lady in the Water being, I think, possibly the worst rated one. Although Avatar had the dual infamy of not only sucking balls, but um, driving a stake into the heart of like millions of the fans of the actual property, uh, because I have watched the cartoon. It's a really good. It's a really. It's a really well written. I highly recommend it, Akil. Um, and uh, but uh, then after Earth, I think pretty much was the nail. Nail in the coffin. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like there's a reason he's back on doing like uh, TV <sighs> movies or whatever he's doing now. Oh yeah, yeah that was the it. One about the crazy grandma or something. Yeah, I think that's the last thing, and it, the reviews of it were um, sort of like, well, it's not great, but it's not Shyamalan bad. So what's maybe, the grandma thing? Uh, the rel- something about relatives. What is yeah, it? Yeah, house guests, relatives. Something these kids go to visit their grandma and find out that all is not what she seems, and there's some creepy shots of her doing strange things in the kitchen and lurking out late at night and. Uh, like I don't know that they're implying that she's an alien or something, or or that she's she's gonna cannibalize them. <laughs> like, <it's> <laughs> like I know that so far it sounds like movie. standard fair. Like red riding hood. <laughs> yeah, two point But apparently, like he doesn't he doesn't like fuck the dog the way he usually does. Where you're just like sitting there going, "What the hell am I watching?" You know? Yeah. But it's a found footage movie, which uh, oh. yeah, uh, my reaction was groan and sigh. Dude, it's done. <laughs> Seriously, it was done pretty much like the third. Fair witch. Film. It was, it was done <laughs> after it. that. Yeah, maybe one more, one or two more after that. But I can't think of the titles. Right, I just get nauseous watching them because of all the shaky cam. It just, it's a, it's a format that immediately has a huge problem because it consistently has to justify itself. Yeah, 
as... But then they, they give up halfway through the film. Yeah. Like, like you the just, first half, they're like, why are you filming me? Why are you filming me? And then all of a sudden, like, there's a camera there. Right. Inexplicably. No one's even... Hold, there's no. There's not another person there that actually could be holding that camera. Yeah. Everyone's in front of the lens. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's that problem. Or, like, the guy holding the camera and filming while his girlfriend's getting, like, torn apart by spirits. You're like, really? Could you like, Could you help out? What, in what world does this make sense? Yeah. You know, I'm not a premiere guy. I don't. Uh, I don't remember the last time I like. I, I think very early on, I've always been the kind of person that like never got caught up in the must see it in the first week, must stand in line, must pre-order the tickets. Uh, you know, like must I just, applaud at the end of movies. Must applaud at the end of, <laughs> or or like up. or react. Like oh no, he didn't. <laughs> like in the movie theaters. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I was, I can't say that I was like caught with the frenzy of the Star Wars, but some part of me, some part of me wants to see it. And I think I will eventually. Um, but I'm like, I'm not getting my hopes up really. Yeah, I wouldn't camp out for it either. I feel like if I know what I've seen from Abrams is that he knows how to pay lip service. He's certainly good at that. And there's going to be a bunch of dizzying action. Or get to see some familiar faces. At this point, really, can we expect more? Is what I'm well, ultimately saying. It's not really. The, I, don't, I don't think so. It's a fantasy at this point. I think to think that anybody would come along and resurrect that feeling that the original three caused. It's just not possible. So. Well, a lot of people who were at the premiere were saying stuff like that. That it was like they're it's reborn. Well, yeah, he's expected to because of the whole thing about how he's using practical effects now and models and miniatures, and there's no more, you know, Lucas throwing lasers in every shot and <laughs> things like that. So uh, it's uh, it's supposed to kind of bring things back down to earth and bring back the magic of the family film. And so yeah, I think that's going to be very heartwarming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm guessing if the if Harrison Ford decided to do it, it must have been half decent because he's a one of the original curmudgeons. <laughs> like, he hasn't had a good thing to say, I think, about any film that he's ever made. <laughs> like, he's unhappy. He just, he's unhappy all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, he, he decided to make this film. One thing I think that's come out of this uh, film, though, that I think is awesome is uh, speaking to come back to Mark Hamill, is he looks fantastic. Oh, yeah. Does Did he you ever... see him on the red carpet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, Somebody sh- sent me a picture of him in like uh, 2012. Yeah, where he, he lost like 100 pounds, and he looked terrible. He like yeah. he literally looked like a uh, little job of the hut there in 2012, <laughs> like complete with the like weird worm worm like face. Yeah, slug. Did he uh, make himself over for the movie or? I well, clearly I they must so, have yeah. make him made him hit the treadmill, but he just looks like healthy and. Puts his Leia too. Leia too, yeah. Although she made a bit of a fuss about it, and she's like really taking the opportunity of this film to uh, rant, and, like she keeps subverting every uh, interview they have with her, yeah, and kind of being a sassy. She's like that sassy granny now, yeah, <laughs> that uh, turns everything on its head. But yeah. she's such an icon that like they let her do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, that, that's the thing that I, I found really interesting was the uh, the social backlash. Like there was one about. They stopped selling the Leia and the gold bikini, right? Yes. Right, because it's not a Disney princess. Uh, it's not. It's <laughs> not marketable. And that's precisely, yeah. I think, the reason why. Yeah, right? that was exactly it. Anything else? Were there any other? Uh, the there slave was, girls probably were a problem. 
Uh, no, there was the the lightsaber. I think was the first one that I that was the first thing that came out in one of like the early trailers, where the the new Sith lightsaber had like the hilt, oh, the crossbeam, the yeah. crossbeam. Yeah, that everybody was huge. debating on whether that's a practical thing to have on a, <laughs> you know, and there was so much controversy over that. Yeah, well, just people photoshopping all kinds of weird like. Uh, uh, different alternatives like ridiculous right. alternatives yeah i think some russian guys even did a fan film where it's just some jedi and another just trading like popping their sabers over and over into more and more ridiculous yeah, formation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just a little thing like that like just how sensitive are people to it seriously and they're going into the physics of it all and how like a you know how it would make sense or wouldn't make sense. And guys from Caltech and MIT are at each other's throats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're hypothesizing about that stuff. What in the hell's diversity? <clears throat> well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. Uh, I think you told me about that there was like some like people whining about the fact that the new... Luke Skywalker, like the new uh, guy who was a black guy. Oh, of like, course. That's, oh, that's to be expected. Yeah, stealing yeah. Our, our shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Which was nonsense. No, but it immediately lit up the the crazies on Twitter, on social media, of course. I mean, these are people that that complain about black actors in movies where the character did not exist, <laughs> right, prior to that person playing it. Yeah. Right? I sort of kind of felt... Their complaints, I remember back in Thor when they cast Idris Elba as, uh, uh, what's his name, Heimdall. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a ridiculous casting, even though Idris Elba is is the most, the, shit. the sexiest man alive and also <laughs> possibly the best actor I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, man. Luther's coming back. They just aired the Are you kidding me? first uh, uh, episode of the fourth series. Oh my gosh! No, yeah. Idris. It was like it, yesterday and the day before. Idris Elba can do no wrong, as far as I'm concerned. But I still thought and he's that, in the new Star Trek. And he's in the new Star Trek. And course. he broke the land speed record. Yeah, you've told me just this. Just because he's is this Idris real? Elba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you hear sure. about this again? No, I didn't know about that one. Yeah, he got into a car and just broke the land speed record because he's fucking Idris, Idris. fucking Elba. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's like, I don't need no Bond. That's why he turned down Bond. He's like, Bond's not up to my level, man. Yeah, exactly. Bond needs to work harder to deserve me playing him. I, but Bond's too street for me. He's too street for me, exactly. <laughs> but honestly, that um, the that except for Thor, which I thought that was dumb to cast him in that role. Why was Hemdal, Heimdall like a... Like a big character? They're they're Nordic gods. Right? There aren't even there are there there's nothing close the closest thing to anything other than the purest purest pearliest white and blondest of blondes and uh, reddest reddest of reds uh, in that entire comic book realm is like Hogan the Grim, who's supposed to be uh, like Mongolian, right? And they cast a Chinese guy, of course. Because close enough, Hollywood, close enough, <laughs> right? But apart from that, like, it's supposed to be Norse gods. And I don't okay. want to say that it's impossible, but I just thought that was like a kind of a blatant uh, political correct casting. Token. It, sorry? <laughs> Use a token, basically. I don't, were there any other, I didn't, I don't think I've seen it. It felt token. Did it feel token to you? Here I am talking about this. You're black. You know this. You know everything <laughs> about being black. Well, I mean, you represent all black you're people. Because I don't really know the <laughs> mythology and... <clears throat> Of the characters and all that, but if they're the whitest of the white and you have a random black guy that screams... Well, okay, I have the perfect example of how, how this works, okay? 
there is a film that is like dead on arrival. You know what I mean by dead on arrival? Like you see the trailer and you're like, man, that's a lot of money. They just pissed away. This is going nowhere. Hmm. I think it's called Gods of Egypt. I don't know if you've seen the trailer. Oh, yeah. yeah. No. And they've kind of trying, they're trying to do like a clash of the Titans, but they're now they're pillaging the Egyptian uh, pantheon again. Um, which I take exception. I'm triggered by that, by the way. <laughs> as I'm half triggered, as half an Egyptian. Mm-hmm. No, but that that does actually half do, of you is 100 percent triggered. Half of me is 100. percent Thank you. Well, very well put. Uh, it does annoy the shit out of me, though, to see uh, ancient Egyptian mythology constantly pillaged. But it's too late. Like there's no one speaking for these people anymore. But okay, so gods of Egypt Proof has is the mummy. <laughs> gods of Egypt uh, uh, exit is gods and kings from Ridley Scott. Uh, both are getting lambasted for the same exact reason. They've whitewashed the cast. All the Egyptian god, fucking Gerard Butler is one of the Egyptian gods. Seriously? And what's his name? Uh, the Kingslayer from uh, Lannister from um, uh, what's Game his name? Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah, uh, he has a weird Slavic name. I forget what his name is, but that he's a blonde guy, right? Mm-hmm. He's one of the Egyptian gods, and there's basically one token black guy somewhere or black woman but otherwise it's like an all-white cast and uh, exodus gods and kings the entire egyptian cast was sigourney fucking weaver was like the queen and john turturro was the advisor and a british guy was ramses right and christian bale was uh you know moses so if i submit to you if that's wrong then we we should be able to say that about doing that you know like just that's not necessary i felt like that one the idris man that's why i forgive it right it gets the idris pass pass, yeah (laughs) the idris pass but anyone other than idris would be there would be a real problem maybe (laughs) or i'd be it'd be be like really it wasn't even worth it at least idris looks magnificent he does right as hamdel uh black kingpin and the awful daredevil with the yeah. yeah like again i love was it michael clark duncan Michael Duncan yeah. Clark. Yeah, oh, uh, no, sure. I always get it mixed Clark, up. Clark, Clark, but I love that guy. He was a great actor. He was a yeah. fun dude. And you don't find guys that size anywhere. There's no there's they're never gonna there's never gonna be another one of those guys around. Mm-hmm. But I felt like his casting as Kingpin was a little bit tokeny as well. Um that one I didn't find so much just no? because he's that powerful an actor. And I think he was was kinda big at the time. Um so yeah, I it, I certainly have less trouble with it. I'll, yeah. I'll concede that point. But I think he's too friendly looking for... I didn't actually have a problem with his skin color. I was just like, you just want to hug that guy. <laughs> he's such a friendly guy, right? He's a green mild dude. For me, it's green yeah, mild yeah. dude forever. And he's uh, trying to act all evil with a cigar. And I'm like, I just want to just want to give a hug. Just give a hug. He doesn't look evil. He, he can't do evil. I, I, don't, I don't find he can do... Yeah, it's uh, outside of his range. Some actors, just they can't. Yeah. Just like some actors don't work well as good guys. Uh, Kevin Spacey never always feels like a weird pervert <laughs> or mm-hmm. guy that'll, you know, like as a good guy, he never worked for me. And there's actors like that. You know? Certainly ever since uh, American Beauty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably that's a bit like a weird vibe to him. Yeah. Or uh, Usual Suspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Talk about talk about amazing films from a, from a guy that, can't do it can't get it done either anymore man uh fucking uh brian singer oh yeah i i I can't believe this is the same guy that's cranking out those those shit x-men movies 
like this is the same guy that mm. did a usual suspects right and he's making like oh although wait am i the only one that thought uh days of future past was boring i was pretty disappointed it was oh yeah it wasn't uh, it was freaking boring right uh, yeah it wasn't enthusiastic about it and apocalypse sure. now looks like it's going to be more of the same yeah just, uh, speaking just, of movie controversies yeah for sure yeah, the Ivan Ooze thing. Did you see that? <laughs> Which? So Apocalypse, right, is the next one. Yeah. He's a bad guy in the movie. And he looks ridiculous. And he looks like Ivan Ooze, who's a villain from the Power Rangers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's true. I did see that. That went super viral. Like, I, I was, I never laughed so hard when oh I saw God. that. I didn't see it. I didn't, I didn't get, like, I didn't make the connection and then when some put it i was like yes he does <laughs> it's like <laughs> I mean, it's ex- almost exactly the same he does i wonder if because the movie got a weird delay after that i wonder if they they touched him up or they uh, did anything uh, CG-wise. i don't think so man but, from the, uh, in the uh, in the preview he looks exactly the pretty, same pretty pretty oozy yeah <laughs> horrible laughably bad so uh apocalypse uh batman versus superman what do you think Talking about trailers that give away the whole movie. Yeah, I'm not uh, excited for Batman versus Superman at all. Yeah, you think they're gonna blow it? Uh, yeah, it just looks like uh, the whole DC no jokes policy and the everyone's dark and gritty and brooding and so brooding, so brooding. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I think that's going to kind of sabotage their studio. <laughs> what do you think that's going on over there? Why why won't they smile? Why won't they let these characters have any fun? <laughs> Uh, I guess that they're sticking to their guns. Like they know that Marvel is running, you know, running away with, uh, you know, having having fun, and they'd rather com- be more competitive than trying to mimic and imitate it. I that's my theory. Is like let's oh this is our way. We're sticking to it, and uh, we're gonna make our characters dark and gritty. And you're gonna like it. I blame Christopher <laughs> Nolan. I, br- I honestly I blame Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Because ever since he did the the Batman Begins. Uh, Dark Knight trilogy. It's like, it's like it's gotta be straight and it's gotta be morose and everyone's desaturated as fuck and they're somehow gonna make Wonder Woman really dark and moody as well. And, yeah. And Lex Luthor is like a dork now, which yeah, I don't get that. That which that's is a what weird surprised one. Surprised me the most. Like, like what the hell? Yeah, that's the weirdest Lex Luthor interpretation. I and they get the guy who played Mark Zuckerberg. So now you're like, okay, he's playing what? Like a goofy comic book Mark Zuckerberg now? Hmm. Yeah. Is that what this is? Or the guy, yeah, he was in Zombieland? Yeah, exactly. Right? He's like this jittery kind of, like, he's totally... I mean, Lex Luthor, as, as I understand it, as I've read him, he's supposed to be powerful. Yeah. Right? Imposing, more of an imposing character, right? Yeah, I mean, he's he. The idea is he's supposed to be. He would have been Superman if Superman hadn't fucking shown up, and that's his real gripe with him, is he's far more intelligent than anyone in the world. He's magnificent. He's powerful. He wants to actually save the world. Like he 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 starts out as like an Elon Musk type, but then it, this alien lands and everyone's kissing his feet. And uh, no one's listening to him, and no one cares. So it's like a jealousy thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we'll see what they do with it. But yeah, yeah, but they revealed way too much. I don't know why they way did a trailer dump. That usually uh, signals fear when they're given when they give away the movie in the trailer. I get the impression that usually it's a little bit fear oriented because they're worried, like they're trying to. They're Some trying people to are saying it's more like formula, like a formulaic thing. Like 
they released like like you were saying you know like they some fake leak photos uh to get like the geeks really into it like the really hardcore geeks and then they do like the teaser super teaser trailer where this and that's like six months a year ahead of time and then as they get close to it that and then it's it's box office stuff that they need to get like the masses uh excited about the movie so they just end up spilling all the beans so that to try to get more people people who aren't necessarily just into the subject matter already to get interested in the film yeah yeah sounds like a tactic to gauge interest uh Let's see what they how they react to this one. Maybe this one too. It yeah. just it smells of panic to me. Well, they're 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 going for the the mass appeal. Like yeah, they you know they want to keep some of the, like the more hardcore people happy because they're the ones who are going to tell people to go see the movie or not to a degree. Sure. But they also just want everybody to go just on its own merit, just because well, it's an action movie. An interesting thing that's happened is uh, in one of the last trailers where they've they reveal almost the entire plot of the movie. Uh, they give everyone a glimpse at uh, what's supposed to be Doomsday, right? Which is a huge, pr- pretty much the biggest storyline I think that Superman ever had. And they changed his complete his, his origin. He looks like shit. Yeah. He, no, but I'm not saying bad. He actually looks like poop. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a poop monster. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the reaction was the reaction was so fierce, such a backlash that the studio actually released a statement um, saying, uh, by the way, uh, don't worry, Doomsday is not the end game. Like, he's not the main main threat in the movie. How that, could Doomsday not be the main threat? A, but B, how... Like, that confirms every theory I have about the studio just panicking and not knowing what to do, how to properly market this, that they would they would actually issue a statement like that. Hmm. Right? I mean, come on. You're going to tell me they couldn't have just gone bomb Superman, bomb Batman, bomb Wonder Woman, da 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 action scene. Here's the date it comes out on. <laughs> and not have had a legion of mad comic book mainstream like armies of people just like tearing down the gates to see this film. You, you're telling me they needed to sell these movies more than that. That doesn't make sense to me. I think they're afraid that the, that that kind of promo doesn't sell everybody who's not in t- already familiar with the with the characters. Yeah, maybe. But who the hell isn't familiar with fucking Batman and Superman? Like Wonder Woman, okay, but are there two big more recognized characters in the world than Batman and Superman? Yeah. I I mean, but not everyone's emotionally invested, I suppose. I don't know, man. It's just uh, it's it's weird to me. It's weird to me. I think it's, I think it's just box office pressure. They just want to make sure that they make as much money as possible. Clearly, I, I think they they're 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 working that formula. The internet has clearly got everything confused and scared. Everyone's terrified of everything now. Hmm. So I can certainly understand uh, the the rush to be able to monetize this stuff because it's slipping through their fingers. Yeah. Um, as software. And all these services now exist where you can just like sit through pay-per-views, anything you want to watch, not pay a penny. And it's a wonderful thing <laughs> for some, <laughs> for some, for some. The only ones not taking advantage of it are the lazy, right? They're just, they're the people who'll tell you like, no, actually, I think it's, it's against my rules. It's against my 
principles. Like, no, you just don't know how to install the software, do you? <laughs> <laughs> That's my theory. All right, Akil. So, um, uh, what are you looking forward to then? If uh, Batman versus Superman is not your uh, your bag, is there anything uh, coming up that uh, you're hot for? I was quite impressed by the uh, the Star Trek Beyond trailer, actually. I, really? Uh, yeah. Um, I know it's a different... It's not Star Trek, but it still looks like a great movie. Like okay. Just from all the little brief scenes and the, you know, how alive and, and the one-liners, the dialogue, it, it's like a, as a trailer, it's constructed really well, and it doesn't look like it gave away much of the story or the best scenes. Okay. So if so, we put the Star Trek stuff aside, you're saying just at face value... It yeah. looks like a film that you'd enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the director's not too bad. Like, uh, well, he did GI Joe, but uh, he, he knows how to do <laughs> how to do with the action thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. As long as Rizzo's not in, I think I'll be okay. Because that's what that's what really did me in in the sequel to GI Joe, yeah. when Rizzo shows up from Wu Tang Clan, and you're like, okay, basically, rappers in any movie is a death nail, an immediate panic button. Right, yeah. with maybe one or two exceptions historically, like maybe Eminem, but he was in his own movie at least. But generally, if Fifty Cent or RZA or Nas or any of those guys, <laughs> like DMX, any of those guys pop up in the movie, what it's Ice T, man. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Leprechaun in the Hood, man. That's all That's I gotta true. say. That's Leprechaun in the Hood, Tank Girl, <laughs> Tank Girl, Johnny Mnemonic. Oh, yeah. But Ice-T has that cross-market appeal. He can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. He's Ice-T. He gets the Idris pass. <laughs> <laughs> but any other rapper usually is a danger zone. No, 50 Cent. We're talking about 50 Cent here. <laughs> yes. 50. All right, man. Well, listen, uh, thank you for coming out. Thanks for having me. Um, I mean, I feel like we've already scratched the surface, but now the pressure's gone, and uh, I hope you'll, be, you'll come back yeah, for sure. uh, to shoot the shit with us. We'd certainly really enjoy having you back. And now that we've had a couple of guests, uh, you know, you, even even if there's anyone in particular that you were like, hey, man, I'd really love to be in the uh, in the studio when this person or that person uh, comes back. Like, we can even accommodate that. But other ways, you're always welcome at this table. And, uh, yeah, man, if Appreciate you want to plug, plug anything or send any shout-outs, this is your opportunity. Nothing to plug. Uh, just... Um Glad to be here among uh, your your list of illustrious guests. Yes. Um, so uh, yeah, it was, it was an experience, and I look forward to coming back. All right, man. Cool, man. Thanks for coming. Fire in the hole. Fire in the hole. Fire. No. Fire in the hole. If you enjoyed the Fire in the Hole podcast, um, there's just a couple of really easy ways to make sure that we keep putting them out. Um, and you know, how can they do that, Richard? Just uh, subscribe on iTunes, uh, leave us a review if you can, and, and rate, and that's the best way you can help out. Yeah, yeah please feel free to leave comments uh, and to interact with us. Uh, every time you do, uh, if you make your uh, presence felt, it raises the visibility and the, uh, the presence of our show. And uh, we love doing these shows, and if you love them, let us know how you feel. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. Lonely soul on a lonely boat.